Welcome to the In Love and Simplicity podcast, where you'll learn to live with less so that you can experience more. I'm your host, Christina Guzman. If you're ready to chat all things minimalism, motherhood, and intentional living, you're in the right place. So pull up a chair, grab your favorite drink, and let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three, Navigating Minimalism with Littles and What to Do When People Gift Your Family Things You Don't Need. These are topics that I get a lot of questions about since I've become a mom, and rightfully so, because doing so can be super challenging and a little uncomfortable. I've been there, I totally get it, and my hope for you today is that you'll walk away with some solid tips and advice on how to navigate both. I became a mom on April 15th of 2022 to my sweet baby girl, Mia, and throughout my pregnancy, I was hyper-focused on how much stuff I thought I needed to get for her. Google is overflowing with long lists of everything you need when your baby arrives, and although I did find some articles helpful for the most part, I felt very overwhelmed. Every time I would sit down to start my registry, I would fall into analysis paralysis, trying to figure out which brand or which version of a particular product was the best choice. It took me about six months to finally finish it, only because my good friend was graciously throwing me a baby shower and I didn't want to make it harder for my friends and family to buy gifts. But then I realized that it doesn't just stop at what you need for your baby. It also extends to what you need for yourself to prepare for their arrival. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of things that can be helpful for mamas to have on hand in the hospital and at home postpartum that are invaluable, but I can't tell you how much money we spent on items for the hospital that went completely unused, and our stay was much longer than most because I had preeclampsia and a C-section. Modern day consumerism works hard to convince us that we need more things than we actually do, especially when it comes to children. In terms of marketing to new parents, we're easy targets because we're new at this and we want to get it right. But it's not just retailers that try and convince us that we need more. Sometimes it's our own family and friends because that's what they've always been told and what they felt was right for them. In that instance, it's coming from a place of love. But the fact is, just like the importance of identifying your own definition of minimalism is crucial to feeling in alignment with your environment, the same goes for parenting and the environment and culture that we create for our children. I'll be the first to say that this definitely isn't an easy task because living with less means that you're going against everything that society tells us is normal and necessary, but the benefits of being intentional with the environment that our children grow up in is 100% worth it because it's going to set the tone for the rest of their lives. So how do you discern your sweet spot when it comes to navigating minimalism with your littles? A lot of it truly is time and experience, which I know at first probably doesn't sound like helpful advice, but it's true. A perfect example of this is when you're a brand new parent and everything just feels so foreign. You're learning about your baby, you're learning about their needs, you're learning about their patterns, and for those first few months, it can feel like you're just flying by the seat of your pants because you basically are. But as time goes on, you get to know your baby better. You start to be able to predict their patterns and their behaviors. You start gaining a better understanding of the products that have been helpful and the products that haven't. My husband and I realized pretty early on in our parenting journey that there were a lot of items we thought we were going to rely heavily on that we ended up not needing or replacing with something else. And some of those items include her wipe warmer, 
She just was never bothered by a cold wipe, and it became something that was just unnecessarily taking up space on our small dresser. Her bassinet, I was hell-bent on getting her a bassinet because I thought it was what would be easiest and safest for everyone, but she ended up only sleeping well in the bassinet within her pack-and-play, which we continued until she was about three months old, and then we transitioned her into a crib. Pacifiers. They just never were her thing. We tried giving it to her a few times and every time she'd spit it out or she'd turn her head. So we definitely didn't want to force it on her. Now we have one pacifier that we use to help her wind down at nighttime and she doesn't even suckle on it. She just likes to chew on it instead. Go figure. Swaddle blankets were another one. We had bought so many of these thinking that they were going to be our saving grace and they ended up being the complete opposite. She could not stand being swaddled. So we ended up pivoting to a sleep sack, one of those that had the Velcro swaddle option. We did that pretty early on. Another thing was bottles. We reduced the quantity of bottles she had because we realized that having more may have made it easier on some days to keep up with her feedings, but overall it just made it harder to sustain keeping them clean when we needed them. The only way we could have known that these things weren't needed is through experience, which will always be the case as children transition into different phases. This is going to look different for every child and it's going to look different for every family. So taking inventory periodically of which items are working and which ones aren't and which things are being used regularly and which ones are just collecting dust will help you to better discern what can be eliminated to create a calming environment for your child that's rooted in items that are purposeful and positive. Some of the other areas in your child's environment that you can make a point to audit periodically might include toys, personal care products, cups, plates, bowls, blankets, burp cloths, and the one thing that tends to be the biggest challenge to rein in, clothing. Children's clothing can be the hardest to keep minimal for one simple reason. They're always growing and always needing bigger sizes. There's no way around that, and that's going to be a constant hurdle for us as parents. I recently did a Q&A on my Instagram stories asking parents what questions they'd like answered on this topic during the episode, and someone asked, how many outfits is too many outfits? Now, although I love the concept of capsule wardrobes and challenges like Project 333 that give a specific number to strive for to keep your clothing items minimal, I don't believe that there's a magic number that works for everyone because we're all so unique and the same is especially true with our children. I personally don't have a set number of outfits that I aim for with our 11-month-old, but some ways that we've been able to keep her wardrobe at a place that feels manageable for our family include considering their current lifestyle. We don't tend to venture out of the house a lot, just with all the sickness going around lately and the fact that we're just straight-up homebodies. Our daughter is pretty much past the stage of spitting up, so she tends to only go through one outfit a day unless we had some sort of food mishap during one of her meals, which it happens. Because of this, she doesn't need as many outfits as she used to when she was younger, so now we buy accordingly, which has helped us to keep her wardrobe manageable. We know this will likely change in the future as she becomes more active outside the house, but that's a bridge we'll cross when we get there. The next tip that has been helpful for us has been to not buy the next size up too far ahead of time. Now, I will admit that in those moments when you go to put on a onesie and realize they've outgrown it, it can be pretty helpful when all you have to do is go to the closet and grab the next size up. However, for me personally, I found that buying too far ahead of time can be a little bit of a double-edged sword because you end up 
needing space for potentially double or triple the wardrobe size of what's actually being used currently. And because of that, there also can end up being so many outfits that don't get worn simply because you don't truly know what your child's clothing needs will be once they hit that future milestone. In the beginning of our daughter's life, we bought so many cute outfits thinking she'd wear them all the time, but we quickly realized that she was much more comfortable in the basics and that left us with a bunch of outfits that were just never worn. The thing that has helped us the most in avoiding overwhelm with her wardrobe has been to do a clothing audit every one to two months. So because our daughter is growing so fast, I make it a point to audit her wardrobe about every one to two months to look for clothes that no longer fit her, clothes that are permanently stained, worn or damaged, clothes that she didn't feel comfortable in, clothes that she never wears, clothes that don't fit the type of lifestyle she currently has. So for example, dressier items that don't make sense for her to be wearing around the house or let's say a jacket that fits but it's the dead of summer and she'll have grown out of it by the time it's needed again. Doing this helps to keep things manageable and it also helps to make more room when the time comes to start purchasing the next size up. Another set of items that I mentioned earlier in the episode that can be hard to rein in are toys. And one of the questions I received on Instagram around this topic was, how do you store toys for when they become age appropriate? This is a great question and something a lot of parents struggle with. As we're preparing for the arrival of our baby, we oftentimes try to think ahead, especially when we're adding items to a registry. It's not uncommon for parents to register for toys and items that baby will need months or even years down the road, especially if they're big ticket items. Because, right? I mean, if you don't have to make the investment, you got to save where you can. But what happens when you have a ton of stuff that your baby won't be using for the foreseeable future? If you have the storage space in your home, you might want to consider keeping the items that you've deemed necessary and organizing them according to their respective month slash year range. You can use storage bins, labels, or any other organizing system that you'd like. But what happens if you don't have the right amount of storage space and those items are taking over parts of your home that you'd like to get back? Before moving to Tennessee, we lived in an 800-square-foot, one-bedroom apartment in California with only one utility closet that was mostly taken up by the water heater, so our storage space was practically non-existent. We had to get creative to ensure our space wasn't totally overwhelmed. Some of the steps that we took included auditing the toys to ensure that we could see our daughter using them in the future. We received a lot of really great gifts that were mostly from our registry, but we also received some gifts that weren't on the registry that were intended for much later in our daughter's life. Although they were gifts that were very thoughtful and appreciated, we weren't prepared to receive them so early on, especially living in such a small space. So we had to make some tough decisions, which leads into the next step that we took to decide if the item is something that is worth keeping or if we could get rid of it for the time being and easily repurchase it in the future. It's far from an ideal situation, but not everyone has the storage capability to keep things until they're ready to be used. We ended up doing a cross-country move when our daughter was just three months old, which forced, forced us to be very intentional about the things we were packing. We ended up either returning, selling, or donating certain items that we knew we could replace when age-appropriate and had more space. Selling or returning the items was, of course, best-case scenario because then you can save the money to go towards purchasing it again in the future, but some items just made more sense to donate, and that's something that you can decide for yourself. If you really don't want to part ways with the items, that's totally fine too. 
The whole point of living with less is to focus on things that serve a purpose and bring you joy. And if you find that the items have the potential to do both for you and your child, why get rid of them? Remember, minimalism should give you a sense of freedom, not restriction. If you want to keep the items until they become age-appropriate but don't have the space to do so, you can consider asking a family member like a parent or a grandparent if they have space that they're willing to let you use temporarily. To be clear, I'm not saying to pawn all of your unwanted stuff onto your loved ones. There has to be purpose to it and the goal should be to make it temporary. But sometimes people have unused space and they're more than happy to let us use it. And if there's anything I've learned since becoming a mother, it's to not be afraid to ask for help because it truly does take a village. Now on to the heavy hitter. What do you do when your family is gifted things you don't want or need? I'm sure a lot of us grew up being taught that we should just accept and be grateful for whatever is given to us, regardless of whether or not we have a use for it or get joy out of it. Talking about this, I can't help but think back to that episode of Gilmore Girls where Richard's mother, Trix, decides to visit from London and Emily is just losing her mind trying to pull out every quirky gift that they've ever received from her out of storage to make sure that they're prominently displayed because she knows if she doesn't, Trix is going to be really offended. It's the perfect example of the old school, you get what you get and you don't get upset mentality, but it doesn't have to be that way. I can't tell you how many gifts I've hoarded in the past because I felt so guilty getting rid of them. Even though it wasn't anything remotely useful for me, even though it didn't bring me joy, even though it wasn't my style, I felt badly because I felt like I was throwing away people's hard-earned money. I know I'm not alone in this because if you felt compelled to listen to this episode, I'm willing to bet you've experienced this too. So what's the solution? Boundaries. And I know some of you shuddered when I said that, and I get it. Boundaries are hard to set. They can be uncomfortable to set, especially with people we love and care about. Yet without them, no one can ever truly benefit, and it just makes things more awkward in the long run. So how do you set boundaries with loved ones to support a minimalist lifestyle? Oftentimes, the best way to start is through open communication. If the people in your life don't know about your lifestyle, if they don't know what it is that you're trying to achieve, we can't expect them to follow suit because they aren't mind readers. Another thing to remember that we touched on earlier in the episode is that living with less goes against the societal norm of consumerism and that whole more is better mentality. So when people give you gifts that you don't really want or need, sometimes it might be hard for them to see how doing so could actually make things more stressful for you and your family. What I've found helpful with my own family has been to educate them about my minimalist lifestyle and let them know that although I've always appreciated their gifts, in this season of life, the gift that I'm most looking forward to receiving is their time, their presence, and their support in helping me thrive in a lifestyle that has positively impacted our family. I also let them know that if they do feel compelled to buy a gift for me or our family, we'd be so happy to give them a list of items we could really benefit from having. More times than not, people are touched by learning that quality time is what you desire most from them, and by refraining from giving you gifts or communicating with you to find out what it is that you really want and need, they're actually helping to support a lifestyle that has improved the quality of life for you and your family. Plus, I imagine that they would appreciate knowing that their hard-earned money won't be going to waste. I'd say that most people are receptive when the boundaries are set in this way. 
but there's almost always that one person who refuses to get on board and will only get you what they deem you should want or need. You've tried open communication with them. You've tried giving them options of things you could use, but all that led to was continued unwanted gifts, criticism, and maybe even an insinuation that you're ungrateful. It's not a great feeling, and quite frankly, if someone is that resistant to listening to your needs and boundaries, then it might be time to reconsider your relationship and distancing yourself, but that in and of itself could be its own podcast episode, so I won't go there. But when it comes to accepting gifts from these types of people, you have a few options. One, you can sell it or give it to someone who you know actually wants it. Two, you can donate to someone who could use it. Or three, you can refuse it altogether. And I know that sounds a little extreme, but the first two options require extra work on your part, work that's been pushed onto you because someone isn't respecting the boundaries you've kindly and lovingly set. It is not your responsibility to shoulder the burden of your violated boundaries. I'm going to say that again. It is not your responsibility to shoulder the burden of your violated boundaries. One of my favorite quotes on this topic comes from researcher, author, and motivational speaker, Brene Brown, who says, daring to set boundaries is about having the courage to love ourselves, even when we risk disappointing others. As a recovering people pleaser, I feel this on such a deep level because I used to allow people to violate my boundaries all of the time because I didn't want to disappoint them or make them upset. But when we choose not to enforce enforce the boundaries we've set, the only person who suffers is us. You deserve better than that, and your family deserves better than that. Ironically enough, while I was planning my outline for this episode, my mom sent me a text that read, Is it okay if we get the baby an Easter outfit and a small, simple, age-appropriate toy? This is a perfect example of a loved one who accepts the lifestyle we've chosen, respects the boundaries that we've set, and is willing to engage in open communication to directly ask if the items she wants to bring home are something that we are open to receiving. It's proof that boundaries, when set lovingly and intentionally, can be effective. As we wrap up this episode, I want to remind you that you are in control. I'm speaking from my own experience, and I want to encourage you to apply what feels good and authentic and leave behind what doesn't. Most importantly, I hope that you always remember that you and your family's journey towards living with less might feel challenging at first, but as you progress, it should feel empowering. If it's not feeling good, if it's starting to feel rooted more in deprivation than freedom, it's time to take a step back, reevaluate, and navigate back towards what you've identified as your unique minimalism sweet spot. Thank you so much for taking the time to hang with me today. I hope this episode has been helpful. And if you have any questions, if you want to chat more about this episode, or if you just want to say hi and keep up with me in real time, you can follow me on Instagram at in love and simplicity. Also, if you're new to minimalism and need help starting your journey in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming, I have a free resource just for you called the Minimalism Kickstart, 10 prompts to kickstart your journey towards living with less. And you can download that at inloveandsimplicity.com slash minimalism kickstart. I'll also link all of this in the show notes so that you can access it easily whenever you want. As always, I am wishing you a wonderful week ahead in love and simplicity. Simplicity.